Father, uh, you know where we are. You know where every single heart in this room and whoever are watching online, you know um, the heavy and you know the struggle. But you know the hope in the midst of it and you know the joy that can be found when we look to you. And so, Father, I pray today that we, um, that we feel that, that we know that. We know it's true, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And so pray today, God, that you give us the feels. Um, Lord, I pray that every word that I share today is yours and that you edit out anything that is not of you. And, um, and God, I thank you for the gift that you trust um, me to be able to stand up here and share. Use my words today, Lord. Um, it's in your son's name I pray, amen. Well, the last couple weeks, um, you know, they were weird. They were weird. I'm just gonna be straight with you. Um, Lots of things going on in my world that I did not see coming, God did. And I know, I know Lauren shared a little bit of that with you. Um, I love, though, you know, even in the midst of hard stuff, how God will give us these little glimpses, you know what I mean? Like little glimpses of like, I got you. I've been ahead of you. I, I know what's going on. I knew what was coming. And a lot of you have asked me about the, the Mark Bible study and why I didn't write it and all this stuff. And it was like, well, um, God and Lauren, which those, put those two forces together and watch out, um, did a little arm twisting and said, you're going to need some space. And I, I remember going at first like, what? Like, how dare you? You know, how dare you? But he had a plan. Um, and now I'm kind of seeing it a little bit. And so thank you for being graceful with me and being flexible and, and knowing that, you know, sometimes being faithful means um, doing things we don't want to do. And sometimes being obedient means, you know, doing things we don't want to do. And um, so it was hard for me to give up next last week, but um, Lauren stepped in and, and God knew. So thank you. Um, this last couple of weeks have been a week of choices for me. And you know what's interesting? When I looked at this lesson, um, which ironically, originally I was supposed to be gone. I had been scheduled to be gone this week, but God twisted and changed all the things. And so now I get to be here and now I see. Because for me, you know, you probably read through chapter 14, the little bit of chapter 15, and, and you saw a lot of things that are familiar, right? A lot of parts of the Easter story that are familiar. You know, there's the, the upper room thing, you know, and, and, and then, you know, we see that we've got the anointing at Bethany, and then we see all the Pontius Pilate stuff and all the things, right? So, so for me, too, like, some of that is so familiar because, like, ever since I was little baby Chris, like, I heard all the stories, but when I approached it this week, it through the lens of kind of the hard things that, um, that I was walking through, I saw it differently. I saw a series of choices. And, and I hope that you see those with me too. If you, don't, um, if you haven't already, open your Bible to chapter 14 of Mark. We're gonna look at five choices that were made. I mentioned, you know, as I was going through the last couple weeks, um, I had choices. You have choices, we all do, right? But when I sat down and, and sat with God's word, I was reminded, like, um, we all have these moments in life, some of mine this last week were big, where we choose, you know, where God gives us free will, and that's the beauty of the, of the, of the Lord that we serve, is that he allows us to make these choices. For me personally, a couple of the choices that I had to face were things like this, where was I gonna focus only on fairness and, 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 and why things were happening? Or 
Was it gonna try to lean in to the even if part of faith? You know, we talk about that. We wanna have that even if, even though, even when kind of faith. Well, God like said, all right, here you go. This is where it's real, you know? I had to ask questions like, um, even just this morning, am I gonna be authentic? You know, am I gonna have tears and struggles and maybe even some laughter and some desperation and, and be real among my friends, my sisters? Or am I going to hide and, and cut and run and be fearful? And then this week, one of the most pivotal decisions I think I will look back on and remember, and maybe if you hear nothing else, I hope you hear this. Um, I had an opportunity uh, to choose to be busy or choose to be available. And it came um, on the heels of, of some pretty terrible news that we got about um, one of my best friends who got diagnosed very suddenly with, with stage four breast cancer and it's, it's in a lot of places and I'm not talking about my friend Amy, I'm talking about our other friend. So now there's two. And so in the heels of that, of that um, news, you know, she had to be hospitalized suddenly because of the pain, because the, the cancer had fractured um, her back. And um, she was in the hospital. And, you know, as her people, you know, we were trying to rally and um, still be broken, but try to hold her up, right? Well, I got a phone call. Um, one day from her husband, and, and he said, it was real sudden, because we didn't see this one coming, he said, hey, um, t tell the troops, <laughs> we have a little handful of us, he said, rally the troops, I need everybody in the lobby of the hospital, I need y'all to pray, because we're about to have to go through a bunch of series of tests today that she's really anxious about, and they're going to be very painful, and um, he's like, I don't know if you'll get to see her, I don't know if I'll see you, but I just, she just needs to know that there are people there praying, and so I said, all right, man, I'll brush my teeth, I'm going to get in the car. I was also put on deodorant because that's a gift, right? And that's about it. No, I put on other things. Let me be clear. But that was about the getting ready, okay? That was about it. I threw on a sweatshirt, some tennis shoes, and I ran out the door. And my other friend and I, we, we both bolted into the lobby at the same time. And as we're standing there, I get a text from my friend's husband, David. And he texts me and says, come on up. And I'm like, oh. Awesome. We're going to get to pray over her, you know, get to see her or whatever. And as we're standing in the room, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself as an elevator going up, I'm, I'm like, you know, I have a lot of stuff to do today. <laughs> Not really that much, but I'm going to pretend. I have a lot of things that in my mind were urgent, right? In my mind, they're things I wanted to get done. And yet there I was with my teeth brushed and my deodorant on and going up an elevator and, and I didn't know what I was going into. And so I thought... Okay, God, just wipe away all the things. Help me forget all the things, you know? And uh, I even took off my watch, which I am a weird watch person. Like, I am constantly need to know what time it is. I have no idea. I'm not that important, but I do. And so I even took off my watch and shoved it in my pocket and was like, all right, today's the day I am here. And so what happened over the course of the next 30 minutes or so is um, I walk in and, and they're getting her ready for these tests and, and they're telling her all the things. You know how the nurses, God bless them, God bless nurses, have to tell you all the things in the test that you're about to have done. And it's, it's really difficult to hear when you're the one in the hospital bed. And I look at my friend, she just has this one tear, you know, kind of running down her face. And I'm like, all right, what can we do? What can we do? 
So my, my, my friend's husband asked um, one of the nurses, hey, um, during the MRIs, which she's in so much pain that to lay still is really hard and she's also very anxious. And so if you've ever had an MRI, you know how that goes. Like you lay on pretty much like a board and there's this big machine. It makes noises and it's scary and it's just awful. And, and he was like, can somebody go in with her? And she's like, no, 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 we don't do that here. And then our other friend, God bless her, she walks in the door and she's actually the lead nurse and she walks in right at that same time and we asked her the same question again. She goes, I'll be right back. And she disappears and, and leaves and comes back. And the next thing I know, there's these papers and, and, and they're saying, who's going to go with her and we're going to let you do it. And all these things are happening. And my friend's husband's looking at me going, uh, I'm, I'm really good at doing all the things, but I'm not really good at the care. And so next thing I know, I'm pulling off my jewelry and I'm filling out a form and I'm walking down the hallway with my friend with my hand on her foot. And she's being wheeled down to all these tests. And I'm thinking, I'm here for it. You know, I'm here for this. And so the course of the day goes, um, we're in this MRI room after we had to go do this awful biopsy, which I didn't go in for that, let me just say. I just stood outside in front of the, the door and prayed, but um, I'm standing down there, and y'all, let me tell you, I'm in the basement of the hospital, and like, I'm, I feel like I'm like backstage at a concert. I'm the only normal, like, you know, plain clothes civilian down there, and every doctor and nurse that passes by me, they look at me like I'm lost. I'm like, I'm cool, I got permission, I'm good, because this doesn't happen. And so then they wheel her into the thing and, um, and they put my friend on the board and they, they wheel her in and, 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 and they roll her into the machine. And um, I got to sit with her for two and a half hours with my hands on her. You know, they rolled up a, a wheelchair because they're like, nobody does this. I don't know why they let you do this. I'm like, because she's a VIP. And I got to put my hands on her and I got to just be there. You know, and every time I saw her kind of twitch because she was so anxious, you know, how her hands are like this and I could see her hands start moving, I would just kind of squeeze, you know. I didn't do anything, I just gave what I could. It's all I had time, presence, you know. And I thought to myself in that room for the two and a half hours that God gave me to pray, which by the way, I had. No words. I thought I was gonna have the most eloquent Jesus prayers of all time. Like God was gonna be like, whoa, mic drop. I had nothing. I just kept crying. But I will tell you this, the choice that I got to make was be busy or be available. And I immediately thought about our story. What are the choices? Like you have the same choices that I do. And I'm not saying I make all the right ones. Trust me, I saw myself in a lot of these characters that were not the right choices. But it, but it dawned on me today that we serve a God who allows us to choose. And that's huge, you know? What are the choices? What are the choices that you're thinking of right now before we even opened our Bible and start talking that you know that he's put in front of you and said, I'm gonna let you choose here. I don't know what they are for you, but for me, it became very clear that there are places in my life that, uh, that I don't choose availability, that I don't choose to go upstairs and be wheeled into that awful room with my friend and put my hands on her feet. There's some, some choices that I haven't made. And you know what? I want from this point forward, I want to make every choice like that, you know? I wasn't planning <laughs> this, I told Jessica. But I just feel like I'm lying if I don't tell you the truth and I needed you to know the truth that we have choices. These people had choices and we have them today too. And for me, the best thing you could do for me is to make a choice for Jesus today. 
Whether that's to make a choice to accept him as your savior or whether that's just a choice to be like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with the things that don't matter. My to-do list, impressions of other people, approval of other people. I just wanna please him. Well, I'm gonna try to pull it together and get us through this. We're gonna look at five choices today. We're gonna look at five choices that show up in our reading today. One, we're gonna look at the woman at Bethany. Two, we're gonna look at Judas. Three, we're gonna look at Peter and kind of the disciples. Four, we're gonna look at Pilate. And finally, we are gonna close out by looking at the choice that Jesus made. And so open your Bible to chapter 14 and say a prayer that I can get through this without my nose running all over the podium. That would be cool, super cool. Um, Chapter 14, I think it's important that we realize this before we talk about these choices. Mark is moving into some very serious territory here, and you probably sensed it this week. Mark is taking us into this timing that um, is fully focused on the coming crucifixion, fully focused. And I think that's why he lays out all of these choices for us right here. They're huge, giant choices We are at Passover time. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about Passover. The Passover in Jerusalem was a time when the crowds would come and they'd celebrate and prepare and remember God's amazing miracle. In Exodus 12, the night of the first Passover was the 10th plague. You may or may not know that if you've watched, um, you know, at Easter, I think we always see Charlton Heston show up, you know, as Moses on on, uh, TV, which is so cool, right? Like, so, so cool. But I always remember that because I remember thinking like, oh, these plagues are so nasty. But that 10th one, that one, no joke, was it? That 10th plague, on that night, God told the Israelites that he needed them to sacrifice a spotless lamb and to take that blood and put it across their doorpost. Do you remember this? And that when um, his spirit came through, they would, he would know that if there was blood across the doorpost, that he would skip over that house and save that firstborn It was this sacrifice and it was this deliverance and he would pass over the households that showed the blood and in a very real way, the blood of the lamb saved the Israelites from death and it kept the destroyer from entering their homes. And so now do you see, we see, right? We see what's coming. They don't see it yet, but Jesus did. They were saved from the plague and their firstborn children were saved. And so now... Here we are, setting the scene. I'm gonna read the first couple verses of chapter 14 so you remember what was happening, okay? You know what they're celebrating, and this is what Mark tells us just before we get into these five choices. First is this, I mean, excuse me, first verse goes like this. Then it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. You see, now they're sneaking around in the dark. That's where evil lurks, right? Because what they're trying to do is make sure they get this thing taken care of before there's a big uproar and uprising that might overturn the government and cause more trouble than they, than they want, right? They just want to clean this up. And then we see the story of the woman at Bethany, Right? That's the first person that makes a choice in our story. It's the woman at Bethany, and it's verses three through nine. And I'm gonna read them just so you remember, and I'm gonna share a couple of thoughts I have about this. Verse three goes like this. I love this story. And while he was at Bethany in the house 
of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. It was very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, let me just tell you, let me give you a footnote. You know who the some were? Them 12. That's right. They're so bratty, guys. Um, they're the ones, okay? Other, other accounts tell us specifically of one in particular who said this, and I'll get to that in a minute. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. And then he says my most favorite line in this whole passage. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, remember that phrase, it means he's about to say something really big and important. The gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. What she has done will be told in memory of her. In other words, for the history of the world, this woman will be remembered and we're doing it today. This is prophecy fulfilled right here today in Flower Mound, Texas, 2022, right? We're talking about this woman couple things to note about this whole section and this choice that she made, you know. It's also recorded in Matthew. It's also recorded, well, we think it's recorded in John. Let me clarify. Okay, the gospel of John is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? The gospel of John was actually written much later. John was an old man, okay? And, and it goes like this, that John wrote it um, probably 50 years after Jesus had been resurrected. So it was, you know, roughly 20 years after these original gospels were written. And I love the idea that John was, um, re he, he knew of these gospels and he probably had access to them and, and these firsthand accounts, right? Because remember, this is Peter's firsthand account. And John was like, yeah, they forgot some stuff. <laughs> and I love that the book of John gives us, a, like 90% of John is not found in other places. And so whenever you read these, it's always cool to go read what John said because I almost think he, he saw the accounts and read the accounts and went, I gotta add some stuff. And so the account here that John shares is a lot deeper and a lot more detailed, so go check it out. But we do believe that this account in John is also the same here. Some scholars aren't sure because some of the timing, like he says five days before and right here he says two days. So I don't know. I, I tend to think that the John account was the same. If that is true, then this woman was Mary. Mary of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary fame. You see, just before, and it wasn't recorded in Mark, but just before this event occurs in the book of John, we see that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, right, by Jesus. Remember, that's that, that great moment where Jesus shows his sorrow and he weeps for his friend, knowing full well that he's gonna have him stand up, walk out, and be Lazarus again, you know? And then we see Jesus go into their house and he's, he's served by Martha. Any Marthas in this room? Yeah, same, right? The busy to-do list. Martha, Martha, why do you not stop and be more like Mary? Sit at the feet of Jesus. And so if this is true, if this is the same account, which we believe that it is, then the Mary that sat at the feet of Jesus is the same Mary that has walked in this room just now and has taken 300 denarii worth of this oil. And what that would equivalent, that, that would equivalent, what's the word? That would be the equivalent of, sorry, things happen. It, it would be one year's wages. 
Think about it. I mean, this wasn't just like a little, like a sample size of perfume, right? Like this was valuable. And so we know that this happened right before Passover. We know that it happened in Simon the leper's house. I love that we see that that's his designation, Simon the leper, right? Wouldn't you just love that if that was your name, Simon the leper? Well, we gotta remember there's like eight Simons in the, in the gospels. And so this is a, a designation, a distinguishing thing that's telling us perhaps, I like to believe that maybe whoever this guy was, Simon the leper, which some believe it might've been Lazarus, Mary and Martha's father, we don't know, but I like to believe that this is one of those evidences of Jesus healing. Because he was, he was obviously not a leper anymore because he wouldn't be living right in the city and he wouldn't be having people, he would be off. But instead, here he is and he's having a dinner party and Jesus is sitting at the table and then this happens. I, I'm overwhelmed by this because a couple things, and if you look in the John account, um, which happens in John 12, I mentioned, there's a detail there. There's a detail that we don't see in Mark, and the detail is this, that she undid her hair and she wiped his feet with her hair. You see, at the time, this would have been unheard of. Jewish women did not take their hair down in public or in front of men. It would have been just scandalous. But instead, she was so overwhelmed in doing what she could, she was willing to forego whatever anybody else thought to worship, to just worship with what she had. In her devotion, she also unconsciously provides um, honor for what's coming. You see, Jesus mentions that basically she is um, anointing him before he's dead. And if this is Mary, we know this, that she was not there to anoint his body after he died. So this is, is this precursor, this beautiful, like symbolic, amazing thing. And Jesus stops everybody and points it out. If you look in the, in, I think in the John account, it might be Matthew, actually, oh, I wanted to tell you this. There is another event that happens in Luke, and I wanna be clear about this one. That is believed to be a very a different situation. And here's why we think it's different, because it's different. How about how you like that? It happens in a different place. There are different people involved. There's different circumstances. And so anyway, I just wanted, there's different witnesses. So when you read the Luke account, it is a little different, a different woman, but, but similar in what happens, but just Slightly different, okay? But we know this about this woman. We know that um, she, chose to get, she chose to give what she had. And um, in the John account, it even specifies that the person that says, how dare you take that, we could have used that money towards something else, is actually Judas. Judas, one of the 12 that we're gonna talk about in just a minute. Well, she has done what she, what she could. This woman chose to worship with what she had. What do you have? He didn't put requirements on her. In fact, instead, he just received it, you know, with open hands. I love that about Jesus. Like, he never, ever says, yeah, you know, your oil was cool and all, but dot, 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 right? He just receives it. In spite of the 12, in spite of those indignant voices that are saying, yeah, but even when others judged and, di and dissected it and criticized it, even when it may not have made perfect sense, you know, even when it cost her something, 
So where can I choose? Where can you choose to worship with what we have? Stop comparing and stop trying to figure things out. Instead, just say, I'm here. That's what she did. That's the choice she made. Well, the next choice is so different, right? The next person that we see making a choice is Judas, and there's three different little sections that Mark gives us details about Judas, and I know that you, you know what happened, you've heard what happened. I wanna give you a couple things to think about. I've heard questions before where people have asked me this, and like, I don't, you know, I do the best I can, but I've heard questions like this. Well, did he have free will? Did he choose to betray Jesus? Because how could he be with him and know everything and still betray him and still not follow? And, and that seems like a good question until you start thinking about your own life, until you start looking in the mirror, right? Like there's so many times where I read this story and I'm like, gosh, I, I'm, I'm him, amen? Can you follow Jesus Christ and still betray him? Oh uh, yeah, uh-huh, absolutely. I think this way, I think in times like these when we don't have all the details, we, fo- we need to focus on what we do have, right? We need to not speculate, but instead focus on what we do have. Centuries, theologians and philosophers have debated whether or not this was um, free will or God made him do this or whatever, but I am inclined to say that he made a choice because what I know of God is that he gives us choices. We're not robots. The Bible makes it clear that Judas was entirely responsible for the choices that he made to betray Jesus. It was a deliberate act on his part. It was planned out, and he made it happen. It's hard, right? It wasn't done in like a sudden burst of anger, like a fit of uncontrolled rage. That It was planned. He sought out those who were opposed to Jesus. He offered to reveal where he could be found, and once they paid him, Judas said, Judas watched for the opportunity to hand Jesus over to him, and Jesus knew about it. Think about this for a minute. Mark doesn't give us some of these details, but you know what happened in that upper room? Do you know, do you know, have you heard what happened in that Passover feast? You know what Jesus did? He got down on the ground, you know what I'm gonna say, and he washed those nasty feet of those those 12, and he washed Judas's feet. And he washed Peter's feet. I'm blown away by that sometimes because I always think like, ah, Jesus knew the whole time and he still loved him. God knew what Judas would do in ways that we can't fully understand. God directed Judas's path in some ways, sure. Many centuries before the prophet Zechariah had predicted that the Messiah would be, 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 be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that's Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, and in God's providence, that prophecy was now fulfilled. Those prophecies are not the fun ones, right? But it happened. Billy Graham said this once about the story of Judas. He said, the story of Judas is one of the most tragic in scripture. He had been with the Lord almost since the beginning of his ministry and he had seen Jesus perform miracles and heard his teaching. And yet, in his heart, he was not truly a believer. Can that be true? Can we go to church every Sunday and show up at Bible study every week and have really cool things to say and dress real cute and say hi to people and sing songs and still not truly believe and follow him and give our lives to him? Heck yeah. 
Let's not be those people. I don't want to be Judas. I don't want to make the choice that Judas made. I, I think about this. I think about, you know, can, I, you, I, I'm a question asker in case you haven't figured that out. Can, can God harden hearts? Absolutely, right? See the Old Testament and Pharaoh, right? Can he use a horribly tragic situation for his glory? Absolutely. Did Judas have choices? Yes. Ultimately, in the Bible, we don't see a return to Christ. I have hope that it happened. I can't know that, right, until I get to heaven. I have hope. You have hope? But we don't see that in what we have. And so we have to assume what we have is, is what we are intended to know this side of heaven. And it's hard. But here's a question that I think we all need to remember when we think about Judas. Would Jesus forgive him and welcome him back? Heck yes, he would. See Peter. <laughs> right? Judas chose, he made a choice. He chose to betray even though he knew Jesus. Where am I betraying Jesus even though I know him? Those yeah, but areas of life that, that I keep in the dark, away from the light of the world. You know, I'm, I always told my kids when I was, um, you know, doing all my stellar parenting in those days, I would always say to them, you know, lies always come out. And I believe it, don't you? Lies always come out. I mean, here's the problem with lies. A lie happens and then we add like 45 more lies to keep burying the lie, right? And now it's like, oh, now we have 45 lies that are gonna, <laughs> it always happens. And I think the same is true, right, with darkness. It's like the darkness is, is never, ever gonna win, Amen. That there is a light that came to overcome the darkness. John 1, 5 tells us so. And so we have to remember that even in those times that seem really difficult or hard to understand, darkness doesn't win. Well, the third choice that we see um, playing out here is Peter. Precious, darling, little Peter. He's such a spaz, right? Anybody else? Yeah, I'm like, I read that and I'm like, go Peter, you're a mess. Same, same. Well, think about this. Um, they were in the upper room. You know, we see this in, um, let me see where we are, Mark 14, verses 26 through 31. So we know that, that they had just been in the upper room. They had just had their feet washed. They had just um, broken the bread. Jesus had just given this most beautiful testimony about breaking the bread and, and drinking the blood, essentially, and talking, like, would be the thing that we would all repeat for the rest of history when we would take communion, recognizing what Jesus was about to do, right? It, it was this huge, enormous, crazy moment, deeper than words. Well, then we see Peter and the disciples, after having their feet washed, after having this amazing moment with Jesus, we see that Peter, Jesus predicts Peter is going to uh, deny him three times. And sweet little Peter's like, no way, man, not me. You must have that wrong, right? Well, we see that in Luke 4, uh, 14, 26 through, through 31, that Jesus foretells Peter's denial of him. And, and I love this because what we have here is Jesus is now taking his three, his people, he's taking them away to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're about to see this most beautiful prayer prayed. But you know, I, I love this, I hope you see this. In verse 26, before any of this even happens, I love this sentence, and when they had sung a hymn, can you stop and think about for just a minute that Jesus was singing praises to the Lord. Praise before the pain, right? Isn't that so cool? 
Man, we could do a whole story. We could do a whole lesson just on that one verse. Well, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That was a prophecy that was about to be fulfilled, right? The minute that Peter and all the disciples just, just scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Oh, Peter. Oh, precious little Peter, right? And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, there's that verse, there's that phrase again. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So it wasn't just Peter. It was the whole crew, the whole little tribe, right? They thought they knew, and they did not know. Well, this little story of Peter, it's like another one of those, like Mark sandwiches in stories, doesn't he? He'll like give you a little bit of Peter and then we go, oh, we pray Gethsemane, there's a betrayal, there's a red, all these things happen and then a little bit more Peter and then a little bit more Peter, like he just kind of mixes it all up. And John and some of the other accounts, it's all kind of together, um, but I think Mark likes a little flair for the dramatic. But I will tell you this, um, this account happens in, in Mark and Matthew and Luke and in and I think about this in the, in the version of Luke, okay? In Luke twenty two sixty one, 61, Luke gives us a detail that Mark doesn't, and I think it's important. Luke says this, that the Lord turned, and this was after the third time that Peter had denied him, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken. And then what do we know Peter did after he denied him three times? He went away and wept. Side note, I believe that this moment for Peter needed to happen. Like this failure needed to happen to strengthen his faith for the future. What do you think about that? What, what, if, what if the story ended here? Peter's story wiped off the pages. He denied Jesus three times and then he went away and wept. What if that was the end? I know people in my life that in their story of faith, in the struggle and the pain and the hard, that, that, that that's the end for them. That they walk away from the Lord. And they walk away from church. They walk away from faith because they're like, you know what? I can't do it. Whether it's sadness or remorse or regret or, or embarrassment or anger or frustration about the, the, the circumstances and struggles that he's allowing. I don't know what it is, but, but Peter doesn't. And so if nothing else, we look at the story and we remember that like there's hope for us, amen? There's hope for Peter, there's hope for you, there's hope for me. Peter becomes the rock that the church is founded on in the book of Acts. And you know, it's interesting in John's version of this story, this is not lost on me. Whenever Peter is asked those three different times, one when he's sitting around the fire, you know, he's asked all the times, um, every time they ask, hey, you're the dude that hung out with the Jesus guy. This is how Peter answers, according to John. I am not. And then they ask again, oh, but wait, aren't you the guy? Aren't you the dude that was hanging out with him? And he's like, I am not. And then the third time, I am not. And then John, I love John. He, he, he wants us to see this, you see, because then when Jesus is facing the throngs of soldiers who come to arrest him and they ask where this Messiah, this King of the Jews is, did they say, are you him? And you know what Jesus says? I am he. That's not lost on me. 
We are so Peter, aren't we? In this world and all these things, a lot of times we're like, no, nah, that's not my Jesus. I'm only available when things, you know, Easter dresses and egg hunts and brunch, right? Like when it's cool. But let me just tell you this, like we have a choice to make. Peter and the disciples, they chose to cut and run when things got hard. Where am I choosing the path of least resistance instead of choosing the narrow way. You know, in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only if you find it. I wanna be the few, amen? I wanna be on that road with y'all. Peter gives me hope. Never doubt in the power of redemption. If you ever doubt in the power of redemption and the power of transformation, you go read about our Peter, okay? His story is perfect. It's his visual of grace and second chances, and that's the God that we serve. Well, the fourth choice that we see that we're gonna talk about is actually Pilate. It's actually Pilate. And and we see him, again, Mark gives us two little parts of the story. Um, And and Pilate, you see in the beginning here of um, chapter 15, and let me just say this, that actually the way this story unfolds is, and Mark kind of crams it all together into one visit, but really it was a little longer than that. Let me explain. So the process of the, the progression of the trials that were occurring for Jesus went like this, okay? First, there was this one where he was, um, he was in front of Annas, and that's the father of Caiaphas, and he was, Caiaphas was the high priest, and you don't have to care about any of this, but just hear me and know that there was this whole progression of things that were occurring, okay, because I never understood that. So Annas was the one where he was taken early Friday morning from the garden, and he was taken to be interrogated, okay, after he was taken from the garden on Thursday night, he's taken to Annas stands in front of Annas. Then he is taken to Caiaphas, which is the high priest and the Sanhedrin, that's the ruling court of Israel. You see, at the time, all of the things that are happening to Jesus, we're still not even in front of the Roman government, okay? We're still just in front of the Jewish um, religious leaders. Because remember, I told you before, um, in, in Jerusalem at the time, the Roman government was, in, was ruling, but the Jerusalem, um, they, they were ruling in Jerusalem, but the Israelites were the people that they were kind of in charge of. So they'd kind of let the religious um, bigwigs, you know, kind of, as long as they could keep the, the Israelites kind of tamped down and under control, the Romans would just kind of look away and do their thing. Well, what was happening here was that these religious leaders were being very threatened by Jesus. And so what they were trying to figure out how to do was to get him killed. And what they were gonna do is they were gonna frame him. And so what happened was there was actually going to be three charges brought against Jesus, okay? The first charge was gonna be avoiding taxes, which is ridiculous. Because even in Luke 3, 32 too, you know, remember that's where Jesus says, give to Caesar what Caesar's do, you know. But they're gonna trump it up because see, if they give some reasons for the Roman government to take Jesus down, then they'll get involved, do you see? So there was that, the other um, charge was theological charges of claiming to be God. You see, the, the Romans didn't care so much about that, but, but the Jewish leaders were the ones that like, no, no, you don't get to say that. And then the third charge was the one that was gonna do him in, and that was the charge of sedition. And what sedition means, that's an unpardonable um, charge in Rome. And so what sedition is, is basically he's saying, um, by saying that my kingdom is not of this world and saying that he is the king of the Jews. That's why they kept asking him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? They were trying to trap him into saying, I am the king, not Caesar. And anybody that says that Caesar is not king, that's immediately an unpardonable offense, okay? 
So back to the progression. So Annas and then Caiaphas. And then when they had finally gotten him to where they wanted him, in fact, they had him say, he answered the question when they asked him who he was. If he would have stayed quiet, this is what's crazy. If he would have stayed quiet in front of those Jewish leaders, they would have had to let him go. Did you know that? Because Deuteronomy 19.15 says there has to be witnesses. And so what they were doing is setting Jesus up and getting him to talk so that witnesses would hear him say who he was and then they had a right to send him to the, to the Roman government, okay? And that's where we are now. So now they've taken him and now he's in front of Pilate. So Pilate is a, a um, he's, he's, uh, came to post uh, two years ago. He's the Roman governor. Um, he'd already had some incidents with Jews and so he's clearly kind of on thin ice with them and so he's like wants to make sure everything's okay with them and so he's like, okay, I'll do whatever I have to do. So now you have Jesus in front of Pilate. Pilate is so interesting to me because I wonder what was going on in his heart because you cannot deny that he wants to find a way to let Jesus go. In fact, we see even in this little section in chapter 15, and there's a lot more expanded upon in, in Mar, I mean, excuse me, in John, is that, that Pilate just kept trying to throw him a bone and saying, let me show you how you can, you can let this guy free. But the Jews were so angry and so threatened that they did everything they could. You know, um, in John chapter 18, the first interaction with Pilate. Okay, let me go backward. So Pilate, now he's in front of Pilate. What actually happens is then there will be a time where Pilate will send him to Herod, okay? And, and then King Herod will then send him back to Pilate and Mark actually lumps all that together. But right here, we're just gonna talk about this very first part, the very first part of where Pilate is talking specifically to Jesus, okay? And in John chapter 18, he, he, he spells it out in a way that I... I, it affects me. And so will you listen with me and try to, let's try to think about the choice that Pilate is about to have to make. John chapter 18, verse 33 goes like this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And then listen to this. Then Pilate says to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And then the scene ends. And I've heard before someone say that that was the most important question asked in the Bible by Pontius Pilate the man who is a puppet and basically gonna end up sending Jesus to the cross. What is truth? I kept thinking, like what held him back? Like, you know, because don't you get the feeling in this moment, like he's kinda like, he, he wants to have this conversation with Jesus and I just wonder what was happening in his heart, I do wonder. And you know what, I hope, and forgive me, and this is not in the Bible, this is in Chris, I hope that he came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, I do. Because I think to myself, like even people who say they are believers don't stop long enough to go, what is truth? And face Jesus and ask the question. And he did. 
But ultimately, Pilate chose to ignore the truth, didn't he? And so I ask you this, you know, what, what are the areas of your life, what are the areas of my life that I am holding myself back from surrendering to the truth? Because I believe and I know that the Holy Spirit is in me. I know that. But there are certainly times when whether it's me protecting myself, I don't know. There are certainly times that I ignore the truth. And I, I, I just beg for forgiveness for those times. Are those places in your life that you're doing the same? Well, in closing, I'll tell you this. Um, there's one last choice I want to point out um, before you go and you talk to your friends about um, Chapter 14, you know, the woman at Bethany, she chose to worship with what she had, right? We want to be that, don't we? And Judas, he chose to betray, even though he knew Jesus. And Peter, he chose to cut and run when it was hard. And Judas, I mean, excuse me, the Pilate chose to ignore the truth. But you know what Jesus chose? Mark uh, 14, 36 reminds us that Jesus chose the cup. Jesus chose the cup that God put before him. And you know, in the garden, just before all this was happening, when Jesus knew what was coming, that one of his friends was about to betray him, that he was about to start down the road to the cross, that he asked God three times, didn't he? Please, please, remove the cup, remove this cup. And he finished the three requests with what? Thy will be done, right? I don't know what cup you are begging for him to remove. First of all, I would say this, be persistent, because I love that Jesus gives us that example, right? And we also know that he was sorrowful and he was in pain, and he gives us that example too, and it's okay. Like all my people have said, it's okay to cry, it's okay to show tears, it's okay to be real, Jesus did that too. And I think at the same time, he had ample opportunity to run. Do you know? He did. He knew what was coming. And so there he is. In John 18, 3, we're told this, that when, when the soldiers came to the garden, you know what it says? It says it's a detachment of soldiers. You know what that means? That means a military troop of 400 to 600 men approached to take Jesus. And then Jesus had his awesome remark where he's like, dude, I've been around the whole time. Where y'all been? You know, you could have taken me 100 times. Took 400 of you? He could have run. He could have hidden. You know, he could have not faced this, this horrible thing that he knew was coming that he begged God to, to release him of. And yet, there he stood. Right. And next week, he will choose the cross. I, I, I was overwhelmed by this because I thought to myself, what are the places that I need to make a choice? I want him to look at my life um, and say, she's done what she could, amen. I want him to look at my life and say, she's following hard after me. While she's sorrowful and while she's begging for things to change, that she's also praying, thy will be done. You know, I mentioned the MRI thing, you know, sitting in there and 
I, I had all these beautiful images in my mind as I was being wheeled down through the bowels of the hospital, you know, going, what is happening? I cannot even believe this out. My day is shaking out and my sweet little friend is just holding my hand like with a death grip, you know, scared to death. And I'm thinking, okay, God, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. And I'm thinking, this is gonna be like one of those monumental prayer moments of my life where I'm gonna get to come back here and tell y'all that like Jesus like came in and there was angels and wings and he was standing above the MRI machine and unicorns and rainbows, and, you know, all the things. And you know, what that, you know what that time was like for me? It was a lot of quiet, really loud quiet, you know, because that machine's going wah, wah, wah. And they were playing terrible music in there, by the way. But it was quiet because I just didn't have words. And I kept saying to him, I don't have words. I have n- no idea what I'm supposed to ask for right now. And so in those moments, I did what I could. And you know what I could do? I could squeeze my friend's foot. And then when they flipped her around, I could put my hand on her forehead. You know, that's what I could do. And sometimes our prayers look like that, right? Sometimes that's our choices. God, I just want to do what I can do. And I want to do it in a way that honors you. And so I ask you today, like, think about those choices. I, I, you know, I always do the take action thing. And the one I, I thought of immediately was consider the choices that you have. I want to consider the choices that I have. I would go back to that day and make the same choice a hundred times, but you know what? I have a million other days that I wish I could go back and change my choice, amen? A million other days that I look a lot more like Peter or Judas or Pilate. And the second thing I wanna challenge you is as you approach this, this scripture this week that is so familiar, this week you know, that leads up to the cross, I mean, so much of it is familiar. Choose something. Find a verse in there that's different. Find something that you haven't thought of before. Write it down, memorize it, put it in front of you, and don't let yourself get numb to the idea that Jesus chose the cross for you and for me. We all have choices, and he did too. Will you pray with me? Father, um, I thank you so much for my friends that are here. I thank you so much for their willingness to open your word and to learn and to know you. And I pray today that we walk out of here and we see places where we need to do better and we need to choose you. We wanna be like the woman at Bethany, God. Forgive us when we're not. And we thank you so much for your son who did choose the cross for us. And he begged, he begged for it not to have to happen this way. And even though, even if, even when, he still did it. Thank you that he did. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And it's in your precious son's name that we pray, amen.